Good morning, everybody. If you did not get a bulletin this morning, you're going to grab one because there's some notes in there that will help you follow along this morning. So just raise your hand and someone will bring you a, a bulletin if you didn't get one. Don't be shy. My wife didn't get one either. Honey, raise your hand high. Um, I said, did you get a bulletin? She's like, no. This is mostly for my wife. Anybody else need one? (laughs) We are in Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, nice to see everybody here, even though it's raining in California. Super scary, right? (laughs) Andy. Pastor Andy said this morning, he's like, I'll never forget, because when they first moved to California, we were meeting at Tribute Girls High School, and it started raining, like, really hard. And he's like, I'll never forget when you were like, don't worry, everybody, it's going to be okay. There is rain in California. So, all right. Let's let's, uh, come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together in your word. I pray that that this would be just a a blessed, blessed time of studying your word. You know, um, each and every person in this sanctuary, better than they even know themselves, you know everything about us. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would meet us here this morning and minister to our hearts exactly the way that we need to be ministered to which should be most for our good and most for your glory. So we, we thank, we're thankful for the book of Ephesians. We're thankful for um, the precious, precious words inspired by your Holy Spirit with absolute perfection to minister to our hearts and to teach us about who we are and who you are and what you've done for us. So bless our time this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something wonderful about feeling safe if, if you're in a, a, a place where there's potential danger. My first time going into Africa, um, I, I landed in Kenya and headed straight over to a place called Lokachokyo in Kenya. And then we were going to fly from there into South Sudan. <clears throat> and this is in the the late 90s, and, and I knew that, that I was going into an area of South Sudan where it was a war zone, where there was literally like millions of people that had been killed in, in that country, and there's the north and the south, and rebels, and militia, and Janjaweed, and these people that were fighting, and they'd come and horseback, and, and they'd bomb cities, and just all that was taking place in that particular region with the civil war that was taking place. And so we went through some training prior to going in, and there was horrible starvation taking place in Sudan at the time. And, and so I went through training, and they talked about, like, different things that could happen when you're there. And one of the things that they said was, you know, there's, there's these translucent scorpions, and you need to look out for them because they're so poisonous and how much it would hurt if you got bit by one and what they'd have to do. And they talked about the different snakes and these puff adders that were there and different vipers that were there and, and to wear glasses because sometimes there's snakes in the tree and they'll see your eyes and they spit into your eyes and then they 
attack you. And so they're saying all these things, and I'm like, great. Like, you know, like, and, and so we land in Lokichokyo, and we're there just for the night, and then we're flying into Sudan. And, and, uh, and I lift up my bag, and underneath my bag says Translucent Scorpion. I'm like, great. Like, they were serious. Like, in my mind, I'm like, it was dramatic. Like, I'm probably not going to see any of this stuff. And, and then I go to, to dinner, and I, I, I'm at dinner, and this guy comes, and he says, in front of your tent, we, we killed a viper. It was under your mat. And I'm like, serious? Like, I was like, you're like two for three right now as far as, like, things that might hurt me really badly. And, and I've only been here for a couple hours. And so my level of, like, awareness was changing dramatically as, as – as I'm learning some of these things. And so we let, we're flying into to South Sudan, and I asked the leader of our team, I'm like, how do you know who the good guys are and the bad guys are? Like, if we land, how do you know who the good guys are and the bad guys are? And he said, well, if they're bad guys, you'll be dead. <laughs> and I'm like, that's horrible information to give somebody. Like, tell me what kind of uniform they have. Like, I, I want to know, like, what's going on? And so we land... And the pilot's like, there's no vehicle here. We're going to land, drop you off. I, have to, I can't stay on the ground. And so we land on this dirt runway. And he gets us. We all get off. We get our bags. And he takes off. And, and they're like, there's, there's, no, there's no vehicle to come get us. We don't know where it's at. So we'll just stay here till they come. And I'm like, this is so poorly organized. Like, where is the guy that's supposed to pick us up and take us someplace safe? And so we're sitting there. You don't see anybody. I mean, it's just... Jungle, dirt runway. We're sitting there in the middle of the runway. And these guys are all like eating beef jerky and power bars and stuff like that. They're all laying down with their heads on their bags. And I'm at a place of like, okay, you guys are like, like ignorance is bliss, right? Like you're just sitting there, like everything's going to be fine. I'm not sitting down. So I just, I remember just standing in the middle of the runway and I'm like surveying the whole area. Like, looking to see, like, what could possibly kill me. And so I just stood there in the middle of the thing, just watching and watching and watching, looking all around this runway. And I, I have, well, it's gotten bad in the last year, but, but prior to this, I had nearly bionic vision, okay? So I could see, well, like, Asian. I don't have to squint or anything. I, I could just see, like, looking and see at a distance, and so I'm like just surveying, looking, and I see as I'm surveying this area, this soldier with this huge gun hiding in the bushes over there. And I'm like, these guys are all just laughing, laying down, eating their food. And I'm like, you guys, like at like 11 o'clock from where I'm standing right now, there is a soldier with a very, very big gun. And he is hiding and he sees us and he's just staring at us. And so they all get up, and they're, you know, and our Africa guy looks, and he walks over, and it ends up being a good guy. But that whole time, I was so nervous of what could possibly go wrong on this airship, my first time in Africa. I've already seen a Viper. I've already seen a Translucent Scorpion, and next on my list was bad guys. And after... Dozens of trips into the same regions. I got to the place where I was way more comfortable. I would be the guy sitting down eating the beef jerky, relaxing. I knew that, 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 that it was safer than 
than what new people thought when they came in, and we would know when troops were moving and certain things like that. But there was just fear that was there because I didn't know. There was just uncertainty there. And when you start thinking about this life that we live, for some people, there's an incredible amount of uncertainty as far as where you're going to go. If you were to die right now, where do you go? And to be a believer and to still have that kind of fear, it makes the trip miserable for you. To be in a place where you're not certain whether you're going to be in heaven or in hell. You trust in Christ, you believe in Christ, but in the back of your mind, there's always, but am I safe? Have I done enough? Is, look at my life. Look at sin in my life. Look at all of these things. And you live in a place of no peace, no safety, no comfort. And life for you can be filled with just incredible anxiety, if that's the case. There's other people who live... And they think they're safe, but they're not. You think of the Titanic. You have a a boat that's been built, a ship that's been built. Covers three football fields, 11 stories high, 46,000 tons. Most incredible vessel that had ever been built. Biggest vessel that had ever been built. And in 1912... 1,312 passengers got on that boat, on that ship, 914 staff, and they set off for the United States. In their minds, there's nothing that could sink the ship. There's absolutely nothing that could sink the ship. But on that day in 1912, as you all know, that ship hit an iceberg. And it hit an iceberg the size of a skyscraper, 15-foot gash along the vessel's right side, and it began to sink. The ship went down, and on that, that ship, there were only 750 lives that were saved out of all of those people. Most people thought they were totally safe. People stayed on. Music was being played. Some people went back to get valuables from their rooms. But the majority of the people on that ship died that day, having no idea that they were not safe. They thought they were. And when it occurred, there was a line of people in New York that were just waiting outside of the White Star Shipping Line office there, and they're waiting to hear about their loved ones. And all that place was their name, and it either say it saved or lost, one or the other. They either saved or they were lost. It didn't matter whether they were in the first class or whether they were in the lowest class of of area. Didn't matter what their net worth was. 
It didn't matter how healthy they were. It didn't matter any of those things. All that mattered was, did it say next to their name, saved or lost? And for many of those people who thought that they were so safe, in fact, they were not. Scripture makes it very clear that God wants us to have assurance of our salvation. He wants us to be in a place where we know whether we are saved or whether we are not saved. In our study so far in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, we see the Lord say many, many incredible things in here that is geared towards causing us to, to feel safe. He tells us things like in verse 3 where he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everyone. He tells us that he's chosen us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and without blame. Before he ever created anything, he chose us before the foundations of the world. He tells us that he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And he tells us that he did it according to the good pleasure of his will. Sovereignty. He tells us that he did this to the praise of the glory of his grace. He tells us that he made us accepted in the beloved as we've been studying for the last several weeks. He tells us that we have redemption, that we've been purchased by his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And you just think of how much grace that is. He tells us that he made that grace abound towards us in wisdom and prudence. He tells us that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. He tells us that we've obtained an inheritance and we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. All of it is centered upon him and what he's done and what he's accomplished for us. And, and so you're listening to these things just saying like, okay, so sealed, I've an inheritance, been chosen from the foundations of the world. It's all to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's things that he did and he purchased, determined these things within himself. It's not based upon my goodness. It's not based upon me at all. It's based upon what God has done. And then... As we get into verses 15 and following, we looked at 15, 16, and 17 last week. It says this, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that's the first thing that he prays for. They'd be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And then we're going to focus on verse 18 this morning. He also prays that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's saying, my prayer is that The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And that goes for each and every person here as well. 
His prayer is that your eyes, your eyes, personally, your eyes would be enlightened, opened, that you would be able to see the hope of his calling. I want your eyes to be open so that you know the hope of his calling and the riches, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants us to have eyes that are open to be able to see these things. The hope of his calling. C.H. Spurgeon, if you look at your hand out there, he's quoted as saying that he was so sure of his salvation that he could grab onto a corn stalk and swing out over the fires of hell and look into the face of the devil and sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Rad statement. This guy like, I'll grab him to a corn stalk. Real secure, right? I'll swing over the fires of hell. I'll look the devil right in the face and say, Blessed assurance. I'll just sing it to him. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a great place to be. To feel safe like that. To feel safe in the sovereignty of God. To feel safe in a salvation that comes by faith alone. By grace alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. There's a safety that is there. And and it changes the journey for us completely. If we are saved and we feel safe. Assurance is something that the Lord desires for us to have. There's a few verses here that will make that more clear. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The source of that security is not in an 11-story ship. The source of that security is in a God who's faithful. He wants us to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. In 2 Peter 1.10, it says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so... An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make your call, calling and your election sure. Make sure. And on this morning, my encouragement to you is the same. Make sure. Make your calling and election sure. In 1 John 5.11, it says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I want you to know that you have eternal life.
I've written these things that you might know. Now, notice in verse 13 there, it says, these things I have written to who? To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. You believe. Your faith is in him. Your trust is in him. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God, I want you to know that you have eternal life. I've written these things so that you would know that you have eternal life. That you're safe. Now in this verse where it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, we know that that is a work of God that does that. His prayer is that their eyes would be open and enlightened in such a way that it affects our lives and how we live. The way that those eyes are open is the Holy Spirit works through the authority of his perfect word to teach us such things. And that's what he does in our text this morning. That your eyes would be open, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now the word hope, for us, we frequently think of hope like, I hope so. My little boy, Jonathan, I hope the Rams win today. I hope they do. Josh Milligan, I hope the Patriots win today. <laughs> Ross, positive the Patriots are going to win today. Who claps? That's... <laughs> Big day, right? Who's going to win? You could hope. But we make it more like, I wish. Or like, I really hope that, that, that this takes place as far as, I, I hope we get lucky and this happens. It's not the way the word hope is used in Scripture. The word hope used in Ephesians 1.18 is not simply wishing something to occur, but something that we can be confident will occur in the future. This hope is grounded in the Lord's infallible promises. Look at how it's used in other places. Psalm 16, verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in hope. Confidence that's there, right? You rest in hope. Romans 8, 25. But if we hope for what we do not see... We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You hope for something that you don't see, but you wait for it with perseverance. So there's a steadiness that's there. In Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a, a, a greatness is there as far as hope that just keeps coming. And how does it come? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I pray he does in our hearts this morning. In Hebrews 6, 18, it says this, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This, is, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. It's, it's a hope that is an anchor. It's, it's solid. We can trust it. In Ephesians 2, 12 and 13, it says this, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and, cha- and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. When you're an unbeliever, you are without hope. When you are a believer, you are with hope. And the reason why is because he has brought you near by the blood of Christ. Certainty that's there. 
And so he wants us to know what is the hope of his calling. Let's talk about his calling for a moment. The calling of God, there's, there's two different ways that you can look at the calling of the Lord. And, and, and there's a general call that goes out. Whosoever wills, let him come. The gospel message goes forward. There's a calling, and, and we, we read passages like many are, are called, but few are chosen, right? So there's, there's a general calling that goes out to everybody. But then you think of, how did I get saved? What, did, what took place that made it so that I got saved? And we know that it wasn't that we were just seeking hard enough, Right? Scripture tells us there's none that seek after him. The Bible tells us that, that no one can come to the Father unless they're drawn. Uh, scripture makes it very clear that, that the inclination of man's heart was only evil continually. That, that we were going in a direction opposite of him. And in the same way that Lazarus was, was raised from the dead, he's done the same thing to us when he said, Lazarus come forth and he came. He took someone who was dead and made him alive. When the blind man who had been blind from birth was brought to the Lord and mud was put in his eyes and he went and washed them in the water and he was able to see. Pharisees are there saying, you know, who did this? See, but what power did he do these things? And this blind man's just saying, like, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. There has been a change that's taken place in me, and I can see. And so when we start looking at Scripture and we see, how does this take place? How do we become believers? How is it that this occurred? There is a sweetness of looking and seeing the Holy Spirit work in our lives, bringing us to salvation, a calling that takes place in us in which the Lord does that work. Let's look in, in, at, at some texts to see more in depth about the calling in which we've been called with. In Romans 1, verse 5, it says this, Through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, when Paul makes mention of the believers, he says, you, you are the called of Jesus Christ. You've been called to be saints. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord sent the Apostle Paul and tells us he sent the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 verse 18 to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He was sent to open their eyes. The gospel message goes forward. God's word goes forward. It doesn't return void and the eyes are open. He turns them from darkness to light. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit in us to do that. It's God doing that to make us so that we're able to see that there's none in all the earth that we desire besides him, and we run to him. 
But the glory goes to God for that. You may be walked an aisle and said a prayer. You may be prayed with a family member or a loved one to receive Christ. However it is that you got saved. I know some of you got saved just listening to a sermon as you're driving in your car, as you accidentally turn the radio to that particular station. And you all know your story. If you're a believer here this morning, you know, more than likely, how the Lord worked in your life to bring you to salvation. But when we see this in Scripture, it tells us that it took a calling of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do this. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit because apart from that, it's just foolishness to us. And so we see the calling that has occurred. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. Specific people, the called. Just a few verses further, it it talks about how God, in Romans 8.30, moreover whom he predestined, these he also what? He called. Those he predestined, he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. In whom he justified, these he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He called us. He predestined you, and he called you. Of those that he called, he justified. Of those that he justified, what did he do? He glorified. If he's for you, who could be against you? The calling, a hope that comes from the calling of God upon our lives. In Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. The brethren are partakers of the heavenly calling. In 1 Peter 2.9, But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There is a sweetness that comes from knowing who we were. We were going in a direction opposite of him, wanting nothing to do with him. And a calling of the Holy Spirit bringing us to salvation. Romans eleven twenty nine for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable power that comes in that calling. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, for you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. He has called us. Not the wise, not the mighty, not the noble. Not many of them. He's called us. In 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, 
but share with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Radical passage there, isn't it? There's a calling that has taken place, a holy calling, and it wasn't according to our works. That makes me feel safe. The work that the Holy Spirit did in calling me, and it wasn't because of my works. It wasn't because he saw something good in me. But it was according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, before any of it ever began. How wonderful it is to sit here as believers and say, he called me with a holy calling. Not based upon my works, but based upon his purpose, his grace. And it was given to me before time began. The power of God that before any of this ever existed, for the foundations of the world, we serve a God who knew us all together, loved us, knew all that you would go through in this life. And that he would do it and he would call you with a holy calling and bring you to salvation. Eyes being opened, heart being softened, a heart of stone made into a heart of flesh, that God would do this in bringing us to himself. Before time began, There's a reason why Paul's praying that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that we would be here this morning and that we would know the hope of his calling. That it would bring us assurance to know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of this salvation that we have Belonging to him. But you may be here this morning and saying, how do I know that I was called? How do I, how do I know? I, I think this is when he called me. I think this is when he did that work. But how do I know? I, I read a, a great quote from A.W. Pink where it says this. If I see with a feeling sense in my heart what a heinous and filthy thing all sin is. What a depraved and loathsome creature I am by nature. What a sink of iniquity still remains within me. What a suitable and sufficient Savior Christ is for such a wretch as me. What a lovely and desirable thing holiness is. That I must have been called to life. If I am now conscious of holy desires and endeavors to which I was previously a stranger, then I must be alive in Christ. You get that? I mean, if you're here this morning and you know how heinous and filthy sin is. If you're here this morning and you know 
what a depraved and loathsome creature you are, that you had nothing to offer God. If you're here this morning and you know that there's iniquity that's still in you, there's sin still in you, you're prone to wander. If you know that Christ is the most suitable and sufficient Savior that you could ever have. He's all that you need. If, if there's a desire for holiness, Pink says, then you had to have been called. The unbeliever does not think that way. The unbeliever does not care whether or not they're in sin or not in sin. The unbeliever does whatever is right in their own eyes. The unbeliever does not hope in Christ for their salvation. The unbeliever just hopes that they got a big ship, that they're safe, that they can make it based on their health, their wit, their ability to convince anybody of anything, their good works, that their good stuff outweighs their bad stuff, that they've done enough, that they can convince God that, well, there's so many ways I didn't know which one to choose, or I, I, uh, I knew Christians and they were hypocrites. You think that you could convince? You think that you could do it? You think that you could make it on your own? If your hope is not in Christ, and there's no desire for holiness, you're not a believer. But if these things have occurred in you, you can be assured that does not happen unless you are called. You've been made a new creation in Christ. Holy Spirit has taken residence in your heart. Your affections have changed. You trust in Christ alone. You hope in him alone. When you think, what do I say if I go before God when I die? How am I going to get in? And the only thing that comes up in your mind is because your blood covered my sin and my hope was in you. You do not come to that place apart from being called. Having eyes opened. Having a heart changed. Be a good cheer this morning. If you're here this morning and your only hope is in Christ and you know the wretch that you are, that only happened by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life calling you. Awesome, awesome thing to have that kind of confidence that you're not traveling this journey in fear, anxiety, wondering whether you've done enough because you know <laughs> he called me. I do not come to that place of having a desire for holiness and a hatred for sin and knowing my own sin and trusting in Christ alone unless I've been called. How do we respond to the calling? 1 Thessalonians 2.12 Walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk worthy of that calling. 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4.7 For God did not call us to uncleanness but to holiness. In Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Have it change you. Walk worthy of the calling. You have been called. You've been made his people. You have been forgiven of sin. You've been given righteousness. You have an inheritance, and it's incorruptible, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, and it's kept by the very power of God because God called you for the holy calling. And you believed, and your hope is in him. There's faith that's there. It's genuine. It's real. And he gets all the glory for it. And so, 
May we leave this place with the boldness to grab onto a corn stalk, swing over the fires of hell, look into the face of the devil, and say, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, wash in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness and lost in his love. The ones who have been called can sing that with great confidence. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you in prayer, I pray that if there's someone who's here that they have not yet trusted in you for their salvation, that today would be the day in which they hear the call of you They see the work that you've done on the cross. They see their sin and the weight of their sin and they cling to you and trust you. Their faith is placed solely in you. We pray that you would accomplish that in their hearts this morning. That today would be the day of salvation for them. You know who they are. You know where they sit. You know that they have yet to trust, to trust in you. May today be the day of salvation for them. For those that have just been filled with anxiety and trying to do things in their own power or their own strength or wavering back and forth as to whether they're saved, may today be the day that their call and their election is made sure. That they would look upon their hope and know that it is only in you. They're sinners in desperate need of grace, and you've accomplished that. For us that are believers, Lord, I pray that there'd be a rest that takes place. That we would be able to sing songs like, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. That we'd find ourselves lost in your love, amazed at who you are. And that there would be just great joy for us as believers trusting in you. That we'd look upon the calling in which you've called us. And find ourselves with great hope. Knowing that only you could do that in our lives. May we worship you this morning as a result. And as we get ready to partake in communion together as a church body. May we come to you in a worthy manner, 
thinking of the cross, proclaiming your death, Lord, till you come, remembering your work, Lord, and what you've accomplished for us, and that is through the precious blood of Christ that we're saved. I pray that this would just be a worshipful and Christ-centered, God-glorifying time of, of communion. So much thankfulness, Lord, that we've been saved. Now, Lord, we pray that you're glorified through our praises. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.